0: Hello and welcome. The 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference or COP26 has kicked off in Glasgow on uh, this morning in Scotland from the 31st of October till the 12th of November. Leaders from almost 200 countries will gather at this summit, aiming to strengthen the climate targets set in the Paris Agreement at COP21 in 2015. Now, the goal of this agreement signed six years ago was to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius, preferably in 1.5 degrees Celsius. However, according to the UN and according to experts, to achieve this, countries will need to commit to more ambitious national targets for cutting greenhouse gas emissions by 2013. So the question now is, can COP26 really save the the planet? What will India stand be? Prime Minister Modi is to attend the summit on the 1st and 2nd of November. And this comes amidst international calls for India to raise our climate commitments. After China and the United States, India is the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases and we're still largely dependent on coal and oil. Our energy demands also are expected to rise sharply over the next decade because our economy is growing and needs to grow. So the question is, can India adopt environment-friendly technologies without having an adverse impact on our economy? And what are the challenges at arriving at a consensus and what is going to be on the top of India's agenda. Joining us on the show tonight, Amitabh Ghosh, who explores the latest history of climate change in his most recent book, The Nutmeg's Curse. We have Ulka Kelka, Director of uh, the Climate World Resources Institute, India. R.R. Rashmi, Distinguished Fellow and Program Director of Earth Science and Climate Change at Terry, a former Special Secretary, Ministry of Environment, Forests and Climate Change, the Government of India. We have Avantika Ghosh, Goswami, Deputy Program Manager of Climate Change at the Centre for Science and Environment and Amitabh Behar, CEO of Oxfam India and Asif Bamla, spokesperson of the BJP, environmentalist and founder of the Bamla Foundation. Let's uh, Amitabh Ghosh, to you first, the author of uh, The Great Derangement, Climate Change and the Unthinkable. Why is this COP26 so critical? Why is it a pivotal moment for people, for the planet? Uh, We've had so many summits like this before. And given the pandemic, isn't there the looming likelihood of economic recovery from the pandemic forcing a resetting of uh, climate correction clocks? The question is, can we expect anything? Can we get a big moment out of COP26?
1: So, uh, well I think you've put it very well for years now we, we, we've heard that we, we're running out of time and we now really are running. we are completely out of time we can see all these terrible climate events all around us affecting, uh, affecting every part of the globe really but uh, you know the sad reality is that this uh, this uh, Glasgow uh, meeting, uh, COP26, has already catastrophically failed. You know this is the this is the elephant in the room that nobody is talking about. Uh, the presidents of the three of three of the biggest players are not going to be there. Uh, the president mm-hmm. of China, the president of Russia, the president of um, uh, Brazil—none of them are going to be there. Okay. This already shows us that, uh, you know, these meetings have been greatly devalued. And one of the principal reasons for that is that the entire process has been repeatedly torpedoed by the United States. I think the United, uh, Donald Trump's walking out of the Paris Agreement just dealt a death blow to this entire process, a death blow that cannot be reversed. Uh, uh, you know, uh, President Biden certainly rejoined and so on, but uh, in a way, the system is now broken. Uh, you know, uh, and a large part of the responsibility, I'm sorry to say, does lie with the United States. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that not only did the United States repeatedly uh, torpedo this thing, uh, the, uh, the entire process, the punitive sanctions regimes that is brought to bear upon, um, upon Russia and China, again, have destroyed uh, any kind of trust that there ever was uh, in what's called the international system
0: really pessimistic but you know perhaps expectations of real progress are higher this time because um, the risks are hitting home we've seen floods this year kill 200 people in Germany heatwakes have have struck Canada, uh, the Siberian Arctic was burning, but uh, Ulka Kelkar, I want to first talk about India or bring in India here. After China and the United States, India is the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases. We're still largely dependent on coal and oil. What is India hoping to come away with from this uh, summit? Uh, How much maneuvering do we really have to give and take? Because there are international calls for India to raise our climate commitments.
2: Um, Thanks, Sarah. I would take a slightly more optimistic view than Mr. Ghosh has taken. Good, I'm so glad. And I would emphasize less on the brinkmanship of the negotiations and more on really the fact that, you know, India has a lot to lose from climate change, but also much to gain from adopting a climate-friendly pathway. So it's irrefutable, our principal stance, that we are not uh, who has caused this problem. Our past emissions have been very low. Our current emissions per person are still well below the world average. But our future emissions, you know, our emissions from our meeting, our unmet energy needs from building our infrastructure, they lie ahead of us. So what's at stake for us really is perhaps much more so than what's at stake for other countries. And what we are hoping from this particular COP is that all countries together collectively will rapidly cut emissions in this decade to keep alive the hope of staying within 1.5 degrees Celsius of safe warming by the end of the century. And just this evening, just an hour ago, the G20 leaders, including Prime Minister Modi in Rome, have signed a communique, have agreed that they will work together to keep 1.5 degrees Celsius within reach. What, of course, we need from this COP is reassurances from the developed countries that they will make up for the shortfalls of climate finance. Which you are know, we're just here. getting
0: this uh, statement coming in. Piyush Goyal speaking ahead of COP26, saying India will represent the but voice yeah, of it's the it's developing most, uh, world, Meaning, will uh, protect the interests of humanity. It sounds like a lot of <laughs> blunt language on the eve of the COP. Let me just play this bite a little bit and then we can uh, carry on with this discussion.
3: Developed countries which have already enjoyed the fruits of low-cost energy for several years will have to go in for net zero much faster and possibly even go in for net negative so that they can release policy space and some carbon space for the developing countries to pursue their development agenda
0: okay uh, amitabh behar in that context you hear heard the tone of uh, the minister there uh, certainly much, much more confrontationalist like a strong stand blunt language on the eve of uh, this up let's put it that way you also heard ulka kelkar say that India has much to lose from climate change and much to gain from adopting a climate-friendly path to development. So in that context, what is the challenge ahead for India? Because, uh, you know, the World uh, Meteorological uh, Organization report uh, said that India lost some $87 billion due to natural disasters last year. So in that context, what is the challenge for India?
3: Yeah. Sure, as in, I, I would say that let's start with optimism. There's absolutely no plan B. Yeah. You've seen that in the last year, whether you saw the fires in Brazil, whether you saw the uh, the huge storms in our own uh, Bay of Bengal. So it, it's it's something which is hitting us hard. Let's accept that reality. And there's absolutely no other option. Mm. And I, I would very strongly endorse what uh, the minister is saying, because uh, we did, as Oxfam released a report confronting carbon inequality, uh, last year, so the top one percent of the population, which is say 70 million people, actually did twice uh, consume twice the carbon budget of the bottom 50 percent. That's the level of inequality. Yep. So I, I think it's it's absolutely critical now that we drive home this point. But let me also say, Sarah, what's very critical that yes, we are doing reasonably well in terms of our NDCs. We are on, on path in terms of achieving that. But that's going to be extremely inadequate. And we have to acknowledge, everybody is talking of now transformational uh, targets. You cannot continue with some incremental changes.
1: Mm-hmm. So while we,
3: we have our NDCs, we need to really now uh, take the, the game much higher and come up with very transformative targets. And let me just also add one more, you know, a couple of more things. One, while I've talked of inequality, I think it's critical, and anyways, we believe that climate change and social injustice, economic inequalities, are all different sides of the same coin. Hmm. But within the country also, it's very important. Just because our per capita emissions are low, it should not become that our carbon budget is then consumed uh, by, by the super rich. And in this context, I think the developed countries must commit Mm. to Mm. climate financing,
1: Mm. technology
3: transfer, capacity Mm. building. That should be an absolutely uh, non-negotiable. And as I said, there's absolutely no plan B. Mm. We have to crack it at this moment. Hopefully, the COVID told us that we, we need fundamental changes. We need to take a pause and reboot ourselves in a new way.
0: Asif Bamla, India is the world's third biggest emitter. We have yet to follow China, the US and the European Union in setting a target for reaching net zero emissions. Negotiators are hoping that, you know, Prime Minister Modi will announce uh, such a goal in Glasgow. But of course, going by the statement I just here heard from Piyush Gold, that doesn't seem like it's, uh, it's going to be likely. But, um, You've heard all of our speakers here. The fact is we're in a very tough position because as much as, you know, we need uh, our economy to grow, uh, as our panelists have pointed out, there's no plan B, there's no other planet for us to live in. And we, India, ourselves pay the higher price when it comes to climate change fallout.
4: You see, I would like to be a little optimistic. uh, And uh, as you know, this COP26 is, the uh, you know, It's a corporation uh, at Glasgow, and on the basis of Paris Agreement, India has set for a target for cutting the carbon emissions from 33% to 35%, but by 2030, I think we should be able to intensify this and to reduce it by at least 40%, you know. And uh, I don't see any... uh, uh, India and uh, Satya so is very passionate as far as the environment is concerned. See the G twenty summit. You see the highlights India fight of COVID and, and one health. Can we just try and uh,
0: fix, can we try and fix Mr. Bamla's line so we can hear him a little more clearly? Ara Rashmi, then if you could just respond, uh, you heard Piyush Gold there talking about the idea of zero emissions, but that is an idea, uh, you know, zero emissions by 2050. That is being advocated as a panacea for climate change, right? Um, oh, your, our take on that, how much of a challenge is that for India?
5: Thank you, Sarah. Uh, the net zero goal by 2050 may be extremely relevant goal for those countries that have espoused it but for a country like india which is still in uh, the phase of growth a uh, net zero goal by 2050 is too distant it doesn't mean anything in fact for the world as a whole also it doesn't mean anything because currently we have to enhance our climate ambition in the immediate time frame of 2030 yeah. and the you know you are aware of the emissions gap report which has said that the major economies have failed on this so there is a huge gap in terms of uh, filling the emissions, uh, the, the reductions, uh, uh, compared to the what science requires. So we have to act on that in the time frame of 2030. That is the immediate and most pressing challenge. So 2050 is a, you know, ultimately, even the G20 uh, leaders have just today recognized that they, by mid-century, they have to halt the emissions to be able to stabilize the climate. But that's very fine. But we need to see that the world acts right and here and now because the climate crisis is deepening. And therefore, we must raise the climate ambition now itself. And India will certainly contribute. I think they have done well so far. And I think there is room for improvement. But that's uh, not the real story. The real story is that uh, when we, people talk about net zero goal by 2050, they're actually talking about coal. They're actually yeah. talking about fossil fuel subsidies. Now that is actually diverting the real question. Because for countries which do not have access to alternative sources of energy at this moment, and which are in the, really in the growth path, where energy needs are rising, I think you're talking about, uh, about phasing out coal, phasing out uh, uh, inefficient fossil, fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, in the name of inefficient, they want to phase out everything. So that is a distraction uh, from the main issue. Main issue is that the climate ambition must be enhanced by all countries, which mm-hmm. are contributors to the global
4: emissions.
0: You know, It just seems like this uh, 26 COP is just going to be fractious with developed countries led by the United States pushing for this deadline on uh, seizing net carbon dioxide emissions and uh, developing countries and India certainly going by our stand not in agreement. So let me just ask you all, uh, all of you feel strongly for the environment, feel strongly in the issue of climate change, feel that India needs to do uh, our bit, basically to to ensure our own future. So let me just start by asking each of you, if you could just tell me then, what is, according to you, the solution? Olka, Kelka, to you first.
2: Thanks. Um, Sarah, this is personal. In 2050, my daughter will be the age that I am today. So we are not talking about that much in the future. Also, the Paris Agreement... However flawed it may be, is working. Before the agreement was signed, we were headed for 4 degrees Celsius of warming by the end of the century. With the Paris pledges, we were headed for 3 degrees. And as of today, with the announced pledges, we are within striking distance of 2 degrees Celsius. So I think we need to take an optimistic, constructive approach. There are many simple things India can do. We have already planned this 450 gigawatts of renewable energy, which will mean that in just 9 years, 60%, the majority of our electricity will be renewable electricity capacity. It means simple things like renewable energy for rural hospitals. It means industrial energy efficiency for micro, small, and medium enterprises that struggle to get finance. It means things like replacing the trucks on the road with more of goods rail. Of course, in the long term, in the next decade of the 2040s, we will need to have more of clean fuels like green hydrogen, which right now are very expensive. But again, here, India is laying the building blocks of the research and development that is required to drive down the costs of these new technologies. So I think with a lot of policies and actions that are in our hands as of today, plus laying the foundations of new technologies in the next two decades, I think India can achieve a much greener and healthier and robust economic future for its citizens.
0: All right. Avantika Goswami, sorry, we were having some uh, technical issues in getting you on. I'm sorry for making you wait for so long. But if if you could just come in here uh, before you come up with the solutions, what are the critical, contentious issues for India? How do we balance? I mean, this is the very uh, thin line that we're that we're we're walking here
6: uh yeah, and uh hi, Sarah, thank you for having me on and sorry if there were issues at my end technically as well uh so in terms of cop twenty uh, six uh we'll I'll focus for a second on the multilateral international side of things. so there are a few key themes that we will be watching out for so of course, there's going to be a lot of discussion about net zero, which we believe is simply a delaying tactic uh for developed countries to not cut emissions today and delay it to later in the century. Um, But we will be focusing on enhanced climate ambition, which countries are pledging to make the most ambitious emissions cuts within this decade. That's within 2030. We'll be looking at uh, climate finance. Are developed nations actually going to commit to $100 billion and upwards in climate finance? And is this going to be mm. tangible, um, both for climate change mitigation as well as adaptation? And uh, that's a good segue to then talk about the next theme. We'll be looking at the, the progress on adaptation. Uh, it's a critical topic for India. There are large parts of our coastline, uh, which are already getting inundated by sea level rise. Um, what kind of financing mechanisms will be made tangibly available for adaptation for the developing world? Uh, and lastly, we'll be looking at the progress on loss and damage. Uh, which essentially means what kind of compensation or reparations can be paid to countries in the global south that have already suffered because of climate change that they have not caused. So if an island nation has lost its home because of sea level rise, uh, what kind of financing or compensation will be provided to those victims? So we expect to see some tangible outcomes on loss and damage beyond just rhetoric and committee formations
0: none of these are easy to none of these are easy to work out uh, mr bamla's line is back up so sorry mr bamla go ahead uh, india stand uh, what is india stand likely to be at the summit
4: you see, as you said, we can change climate change, mitigate, adopt and act. You see, the G summit, uh, uh, the G20 summit that happened prior to now uh, uh, the COP26 summit, where the prime minister obviously highlighted the vision of one earth, one uh, one health. We, 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 we all are aware about it. You see, so issues relating to the uh, global economy, stability, climate change mitigation and sustainable development are equally important. But at the same time, if you see, India has to uh, go in for cutting the emissions as we are committed 33 to 35 percent by two th- uh, 2030, and we have to lower these emissions to int- intensify it by at least minimum by at least to 40 percent. Now, as far as COP 26 is concerned, we are aware that uh, there is an alliance between India and Britain for the green uh, grid uh, of what I of what I understand. That's one sun one world and obviously one grid via the international solar alliance which is equally very very critical you see in larger interest connecting the world solar energy via one uh, grid is what i understand you see so along with the other uh, world leaders i think india having a passionate uh, prime minister uh, with a large vision on environment i mean of course this time it's it's very demeaning to not have China and Russia on the cop but that doesn't affect uh, that doesn't uh, stop the narrative of environment you see uh, the the cause of environment is too large for countries like i, I was hearing uh, from Mr Ghosh that with uh, with China and Russia not volunteering in the basic uh, the basic fabric of uh, this fight uh, you know, this climate change will, will not be very effective. I mean, let's be very, very positive because you see, India, along with other uh, other leaders, you see, could be the driving force in the in the global uh, sustainable alliance in the world. I mean, India has always been steadfast. Even in the Paris Agreement, we have committed. Of course, there are certain challenges that we have faced, and of course, we also understand that we are the. Heard, uh, okay, so you're uh, you saying see? this is
0: an opportunity to India to for India to come forward, maybe form new alliances with different countries, come up with different ideas because the current alliances haven't worked. But Amitabh Ghosh, uh, since you were referred to, and yes, you, you point out that you know America's stand on this is uh, many fingers being pointed there, but. The irony is that America has been badly affected. We just recently saw those visuals of um, the New York, I mean, New York City, Brooklyn, where you are right now. Most of these basements flooded the subway. Many would say maybe it's like, you know, it is over a 100 years old, so need to be expected. But uh, has this uh, brought made the picture more real? Is Are we going to see a more shouldn't we be seeing a more earnest uh, U.S. at the uh, COP table right now?
1: Um, well, first, uh, what you said about New York, look, I mean, the subway system was, uh, you know, it, uh, it was sort of uh, refitted after Hurricane Katrina, you know, so it should not have flooded in this way. It goes to show that the refitting didn't really work very well. But quite apart from the subway, you know, it was uh, a lot of people just drowning uh, in basements, you know, in basement apartments. And I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of the people who died actually had uh, uh, had uh, Indian names. I, I think they were uh, sort of, in, uh, you know, of Indian origin from Guyana or something. I was very struck by that. So again, inequality uh, had, had a lot to do with that. But again, the larger point that you're making, look, in many senses, I think it's true. The country that is actually worst affected by climate change is the United States. You know, if you look around the United States, the number of climate impacts that are occurring, you know, Louisiana is losing um, one football field of land uh, uh, every hour or something. Uh, if you look at the effects of sea level rise across the, uh, across the East Coast, these, uh, uh, these rain bomb events, uh, these cyclones, the incredible wildfires in California, you know, I mean, there's a, 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 there's a whole panoply of disasters unfolding across the United States. But ha- have Americans really woken up to the nature of the of the threat? Uh, sadly, I don't think that that is the case. I don't think uh, you know, even though many Americans do uh, pay attention to this, I think not. Also, do not. And for better or for worse, America is the is the global leader in these. Uh, well, they need to set a better example.
2: Well,
0: everyone is affected, but why aren't we all acting? That is. Uh... Um, the irony of this uh, situation. Today, perhaps we can still protect ourselves from the worst impacts of climate change and shape our healthier future. But uh, for that, really, this needs to be the point, the starting point for some uh, transformational climate action. But thank you all, Ulka Kelkar, Bihar, Ara Rashmi, Avantika Goswami, Asif Bamla, for uh, speaking tonight. You know, we've had this cricket match going on. Everybody's, but it's important to keep the spotlight on this issue. We'll continue to do it on We The People and on NDTV over the next week. Thank you all for your time tonight. That's it on We The People. Bye-bye.